0: sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwenz.com that's spelled W-E-N-T-Z, and follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We have finally gotten there. We are on the last week of our 16-week series, Going Through the Bible from Beginning to End, Tracing the River of Life. And I am going ahead and preaching this today, even though it's Mother's Day, because after 35 years, I've preached Mother's Day just about as many different ways as I can think of it. And you've probably heard Mother's Day sermons uh, just about every year, and so we're just going ahead with the series and finishing it up. Let's say together our key verse found in the bulletin. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty, Come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life revelation 22 17 we have been going through the Bible and we've been uh, looking at all of the different activities and sometimes God's people up and sometimes God's people are down sometimes they're in jail John was exiled to a, a prison island, uh, just like Napoleon was exiled to Elba and Dr. Mudd was exiled to the Tortugas for his uh, role or alleged role in the conspiracy to shoot President Lincoln, shipping people off the islands was what they did, and uh, that's where John was. He was being persecuted as part of a major persecution against the church. And sometimes it seems like things are just going bad. But I've looked in the back of the book and God wins. God wins. The last book of the Bible is called the Revelation. We often call it Revelations because with a, an S on the end because we think It's a series of revelations about what's going to happen at the end of time. And that is part of it, or at least most interpreters think that's what it is. But the actual title is the revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ. And that has two meanings. It can mean what Jesus revealed to John about what was going to happen. And I'm sure that was true. But another part of it is that it reveals Jesus. And we see Jesus in in many different ways as we go through the book of Revelation. So, if you read Revelation, and it's a fascinating read, and it's not all that long, you can probably get through it in 45 minutes or so, look for Jesus. In it, not just trying to figure out all those crazy symbols. How many of you have read Revelation? Okay, not a whole lot. Some people just shy away from it because they say that's weird. You know, it's uh, the technical term for the kind of writing is apocalyptic. It's actually, if it was being marketed today, it would be called. Uh, it would be in the the fantasy science fiction category, because there's all these weird monsters and dragons and all kinds of things like that. All of those things appear because it's written in symbolism. The book of Revelation is full of symbolism. Why? Write it in symbolism and just, instead of just laying out, okay, here's what's going to happen, and then this will happen, and this this will happen. It's uh, like a history... In reverse? Well, I think there were a number of reasons that it was in in so many symbols. First, you have to remember, John was in jail, essentially, as part of the persecution of Christians, and he was writing to other Christians. And so what he wrote to them, if it was to fall into the hands of the Roman officers who were doing the persecuting, he didn't want them to understand it. So it's kind of like a spiritual code. Christians who were familiar with Christian doctrine and familiar with the Old Testament would understand it, but the Romans wouldn't have any idea what he was talking about. Symbolism stands up over time. It has an emotional impact. And so various reasons for, for the symbols, and I think, personally, it's also because God wants to allow the freedom for us to understand it in different ways. The things that are crucial, the Bible is very clear about it, but a lot of the things, God allows us some freedom in how we understand it and what we do about it. So some of the symbols are explained when they're used, some can be understood from the Old Testament, some of them aren't explained at all, and God doesn't seem to be a bit bothered about leaving us with something that's not explained and that we'll never understand until we get to heaven. And so I don't think we should get bothered by that either. I think I've told you this before, but one of my favorite theologians, Mark Twain, said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand. Because then I have to do something about it. So, what does the book of Revelation mean? Well, it depends on who you ask. There are actually four different modes of interpreting the book of Revelation. Some people, and I think the most popular modern understanding, is that it all refers to the end times. Everything in the book of Revelation, once you get past the letters to the churches at the beginning, and some some people even think that part. All of it pertains to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. There is another view, though, That has been popular at various times in church history and is still understood by a lot of scholars. That it all refers to things that were just about to happen surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem. And it was all John writing to the Christians about things that were just about to happen. And the, the city of Jerusalem was indeed destroyed and completely uh, burned and demolished, and the the Jews were dispersed throughout the world not long after this happened. Some people see in the book of Revelation a symbolic representation of church history from the beginning up until now. And they'll say, okay, well, this, this uh particular Symbol refers to this particular time of church history. And others see it as purely allegorical. It's meant to encourage Christians who are undergoing persecution in any time, in any place, in any situation, but not to actually describe any particular events. Now, my own feeling is that um, I have friends who agree with all of these interpretations, and I agree with my friends. So, I don't know, but I think that it, there are multiple layers of understanding. And so, the, the, the point is that any way you understand it, four things are for sure. First one is, in this world, you will have trouble. Right? Anybody agree with that? You've experienced that? That's, as a matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That's not one of those promises out of the Bible that most people want to claim. Unless you go on to where he said, he he immediately followed that by saying, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So if you're in Jesus, you're going to overcome the trouble that you have. But First thing is, you're going to have trouble, and if anybody tells you that becoming a Christian is the answer to all your problems, and it will solve everything for you, then they either don't understand it, or they're trying to sell you a bill of goods. Becoming a Christian gets you through the troubles, but it doesn't avoid it although it can help you avoid a lot of the ones that you would bring on yourself otherwise. Second thing that is for sure is that God doesn't explain everything to us. We have to take some things on faith. We are not allowed the option, although a lot of people take it, a lot of people want to do this, say, if I can understand what God is doing, and if I can see how it's going to work out, then I'll go along, but God doesn't say that. God says, "I'm God; you're not. You either take it or not." But this is what's going to be going on. It's a—you could say—it's a need—a need to know situation. Anybody familiar with that phrase in the intelligence community? You—you you are told only as much as you need to know. The third thing that is for sure that we see in the book of Revelations and all through the Bible is what I told you at the beginning. In the end, God wins. You've heard me say before one of my favorite sayings, everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. In the end, God wins. So if you want to be on the winning side, be on God's side. And the fourth thing is until then, while we are still in the here and now, while we are still in this life that is full of troubles, be sure to drink deeply and freely and frequently from the river of life. And that brings me to the whole 16 weeks that we've been going through. Looking at the river of life which is described as flowing freely in the Garden of Eden, where God created everything and said it's good. And the river of life that is flowing freely in the book of Revelation, as Dick read for us. And in between, as we've been looking at, God gave Adam and Eve, He gave the first human beings, He gave them freedom of choice. Why did He do that? Because He created us in order to share love. God is love. And love only works in a relationship, love needs to be shared. And so, while God always had love shared within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's love is infinite. It overflowed, and He wanted to have somebody else to share His love with, and that's why He created us. But for love to be real, it has to be free. It can't be forced or robotic and still be real love. So, God gave our first ancestors the freedom. To return his love, which would be indicated by following his rules. One rule that he set down, don't eat this tree, don't eat the fruit from this tree. Or to not return his love by disobeying. We all know what they did. They disobeyed God, opened up. A huge sinkhole in the river of life just went right underground. And we've been tracing through the Bible the river of life as it comes back. In the Garden of Eden, the the prehistorical parts of the Bible, the river sinks, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rumors of the river, the promise of the river in the future to be restored. God sent Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and sent, spent time in the wilderness with them, setting them up as a nation, giving them the, uh, the law, the rules of how to get some living water while the river of life is underground. They moved into the promised land, going down to the river. In Judges and Saul, we see intermittent springs, just little bits here and there of the water of life showing. And then with David and Solomon, the, the great kings who loved and followed God, they were flowing with the river, and they're the ones that largely wrote the wisdom literature, which you can see as the river guidebooks. And then there was divided kingdoms after the death of Solomon fake rivers and intermittent springs. But at the same time, God sent prophets who were saying, but there really is a real river. I've seen the river. But they kept following the the fake rivers, getting all kinds of stuff that wasn't really living water. And so God allowed them to be taken in captivity to Babylon. And while they were there, It was like sterilizing the water bottles. The people were the water bottles for the river and uh, the living water, and they were sterilized because once they returned from there, from that time until now, the Jews may have had various kinds of problems, but idolatry and following other gods other than, than the God of the Bible is not one of them. In the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testaments, there were rumors of a river. And then, with the Gospels, with the life of Jesus, the river personified as a person living among us. It looked like the river had completely dried up when Jesus was crucified. But on the resurrection morning, a geyser, and then the book of Acts talks about. The springs, Pentecost, the coming, the big spring of the river spread throughout all of the people of God. The epistles talk about floating the river and in Revelation, the river is restored. So 16 weeks following the river of life. Next week is Aldersgate Sunday. It's the birthday of the Methodist movement and we'll take a look at the river since the end of biblical history, up until now, what God has been doing. The week after that's Memorial Day weekend, and then Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of Christianity, the big spring of the river of life. In John 7, 38 and 39, Jesus said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And John comments, Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John is looking forward to what happened on Pentecost. Since Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is God with us, and God among us, and God in us. As many ways as physical water affects your life, the living water of the Holy Spirit is even more important. And so, starting in two weeks, I'll start a series, or I guess it's three weeks, I'll start a series on the Holy Spirit, the living water. But I want to end this morning by going through our key verse. Key verse says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty, Come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit of God invites you. If you have never Come to the river of life. If you have never recognized that you need it, that you have messed up your life, that there are things that have been wrong and that there's nothing you can do to fix it. Even if you could live a perfect life from now on, that would just avoid future infractions. It wouldn't fix anything you've done in the past. But you need to recognize that and you need to recognize That while there's nothing you could do to fix it, there was something that God could do. And he did that by sending his son Jesus to die in our place on the cross, to take our sins upon himself who had no sins, to die our death, to rise from the dead, to give us his life. And all we need to do is the only thing we can do, which is recognize we need it, believe he has it, Ask Him for it. Receive it by faith. And commit ourselves to live as best we can in a way that honors that commitment. And we can do that because when we give ourselves to God, the Bible says our human spirit, which was broken in the Garden of Eden, is made new, reborn, regenerated. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside the new human spirit. So the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is saying, come to the river of life. And there's, if there's anybody here who's not sure you've ever done that, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you about that. The Holy Spirit says, come. The church, the bride of Christ, says, come come to the river of life. The river of life is what sets the church apart. The river of life through Jesus Christ. You see, other organizations do good things. We had the Red Cross here, we had the Multi-Agency Service Center here Thursday, all doing good things. And several of them were from churches. We had Catholic Charities and Seventh-day Adventists and Church of the Brethren and and uh, various others and some of them were non-governmental I mean non, non-religious non there were government agencies I was impressed there was somebody from the uh, Attorney General's Department here warning people about contractor scams and there was somebody from uh, agriculture here helping people get money to replace fences and that kind of thing and just a lot of that good kind of stuff out there but an atheist can do that kind of stuff. And it's good stuff. And praise the Lord for those that do. But the church is not the only organization that does good things. Other organizations do good things, other organizations stand for good values. The church can't compete with the world in terms of entertainment. And when we identify ourselves in those terms, we're setting ourselves up for failure. But only the church offers an invitation to the river of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Only the church has the means to the true living water. That's where we should focus. That's what the world needs. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let anyone who hears this say, Come. You heard it? Now you need to spread the news. Every Christian should say, Come to the river of life. Now, Inviting people to church is great, but don't just invite them to church. Invite people to life. I mean, most people know what church is about, or they think they do, and the ones that don't go to church can usually tell you why, and they're probably not going to change just because you invite them to church. Although sometimes they will. So so don't hesitate to invite people to church. But don't make that the focus. Everybody needs life. Everybody wants life. And only the church through Jesus Christ can offer the living water of the river of life. You all are the church. It's your job. Somebody says, but you're the pastor. That's what we pay you for. Well, no. Actually, my job, and I can show you chapter and verse in the Bible. It's Ephesians 4. My job is to train and equip and encourage you all to do that. If there's any way I can do that better for you, let me know. But it's not my job, or at least not exclusively. Of course, I do that as well. Let anyone who hears this say, come. And let anyone who is thirsty come. Our verse goes on. Everyone who is thirsty for life is invited to come to the river of life. There's only one river of life, but everyone is invited to come to it. And our verse ends let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. There is no cost or limit to drinking from the river of life. So drink up. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. Drink until you can't hold any more. And then let that living water flow out of you to everybody you need. Because when you invite them to come to the river, you really ought to give them a sample. And then come back and fill up again. That doesn't necessarily mean come back to church. You know? Church is wonderful, but it's not your filling station. Every day... You should be meeting with the Lord and getting filled. As a matter of fact, the literal Greek doesn't say be filled with the Spirit. It says be being filled with the Spirit. Continually be in the process of being filled with the Spirit. Stay full. Because it's the Spirit is the water of life. And you can never get too much life. You can never get too much God. The river of life is in the beginning of the Bible. The river of life is at the end of the Bible. We're in the middle. But the river of life is in us. And so we can get through. In this life, we will have trouble. And God doesn't explain it all. But in the end, God wins. And in the meantime, drink from the river of life. Let's say together our key verse one more time. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let anyone who hears this say, Come, let anyone who is thirsty come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Revelation 22, 17. to this sermon, and I pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.